to Strictly Baseball. I am Jacob Brown, joined by Rory Tedimer and special guest and longtime friend of the pod, John D. Stefano. Today, we're going to talk about the World Baseball Classic. And if you could tell from my voice, I was there. My voice is halfway gone from cheering last night for Team USA, all for naught, as they did lose one run by one run. It was an incredible night nonetheless. And we're also going to complete our top position list uh, a series, I guess you can call it. We've been doing the Rankham series with the top 10 position players at each position in baseball. And we are now finishing, not with a top 10, but a top 15 in starting pitchers because starting pitchers are so good that I didn't want to make it just 10. Uh, so first of all, John, longtime listeners of the pod, you know, you've been on Strictly Baseball before. It's been a while. How are you doing? How are you feeling about your Mets? And how's life going overall? You were just in Columbus for FAU. Oh, I certainly was. I, you just hit on so many points. I'll, I'll try and get to them all. Uh, things have been great lately. Uh, you know, St. Lucie uh, is gearing up for their season. We'll have our first game in about a week and our about two and a half weeks now. So getting ready for that. I'm really, really excited for our uh, state champion St. Lucie Mets to take the field once again. Um, like you said, was just up in Columbus for those two exciting, crazy FAU basketball games. Thrilled to make the trip. Met a bunch of alumni up there. I have to say, big shout out to FAU's athletics department. They did a fantastic job of hosting us for the three or four days most of us were up in Columbus. And it was just a fantastic time. Um, can't believe what we're seeing so far from the Owls. I don't think <laughs> anybody except for me had them in the Sweet 16 in their bracket. Oh, yeah. But right now, it is a joy to behold. And I think we got a real shot against Tennessee. So we're going to give them a run tomorrow. Hey, I'm with you, hey, man. I'm with you, man. Uh, you know, Tennessee is a team that, that they were consistently in the top 25 throughout the year. I know a lot of UT people, and, uh, you know, I'd love to see them go down at MSG this Thursday. But uh, let's get into this this uh, World Baseball Classic stuff. Last night I was there at the WBC Championship where Team USA lost to Team Japan 3-2. to two. It was an incredible contest. Uh, it was close the entire time. The pitching was phenomenal for Team Japan. USA still had 12 hits, even though at times it didn't really feel like it. They had a lot of offense going. Um, the crowd was incredible. Uh, but I think overall, the World Baseball Classic has really proven a lot for baseball in the sense that people still want to watch it just in, in maybe a different way. And, and maybe we're seeing that with these viewership numbers in the WBC and how drastically different they are compared to the World Series from 2022. Uh, I think World Series was 12.5 million. WBC was pushing 100 million, if not went over 100 million viewers. So uh, I know, John, you've been watching the whole tournament. What do you think about the tournament and how it finished up? Well, I think it's a big deal for baseball, first of all. I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the, the viewership numbers right off the bat because, I mean, that's the most significant thing that we can talk about so far is that the growth of baseball is exactly – the MLB is getting exactly what they want out of this. I mean, if you look at the numbers, just some of the raw numbers for the players, Shohei Otani had a million Instagram followers in the weeks leading up to the WBC and doubled them in just the last week alone. Mike Trout had a very similar following on, on Instagram. He actually increased his numbers by a wide margin as well. So guys who were already popular in their own countries were able to increase their personal followings, and that's just a baseline of an idea of what, what we can expect from later WBCs. I mean, 
you know, regardless of your opinion of do we want the WBC, do we not want the WBC, the fact is that baseball is getting exactly what they want out of it, which is major exposure, not just countrywide, but worldwide. And it's a really big deal for the game. Yeah, Rory, you too. Yeah, I mean, first of all, how dare you come to me five minutes into the podcast for my first words. Uh, but yeah, John, good point. And I think the uh, I think the cool part was that you didn't even mention Lars Newtbar uh, went into the uh, you know, WBC with 26,000 and came out of it with 668,000. So a guy not many people knew was Japanese, obviously going uh, over to Japan, winning it with them and uh, coming out a hometown hero there. So uh, that was very cool to see a guy that, you know, not many people talk about is now his household name there in Japan. So that was a good one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what a great series it was. I hate the people that are saying all this nonsense about how it should be happening, how it should be going on. Uh, Mad Dog Russo has been talking some nonsense out of his uh, ass there. Uh, he's really just been against it for God knows why. Uh, I just don't, I don't understand it. I think he is a little bit of a Mets fan there, so I think he might be a little upset about Edwin Diaz. But uh, no, 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 he's Giants. He's Giants. Is he Giants? I know he hates the Phillies. Yeah. I know he hates the Phillies. So uh, that's for sure. But either way, I mean, yeah, great for baseball. I'm excited to see what uh, you know is going to six. Obviously, the big answer that needs to be happened if U.S. wants to win, pitchers got to come, and they got to come in boatloads. There, uh, don't know if we had a guy that throws over 97, and I'd be even stretching it there. Um, that's what you need. I need, I need someone to come lock down, you know, be able to pump Ched, uh, through the third inning, at least I don't need, I didn't see that at all. We had Lance Lynn go five once. And I don't, I don't know if anyone else did go over that. So, uh, very disappointing from the starting pitchers. And that's why we lost, uh, you know, yesterday, Merrill Kelly stunk, uh, Kyle Freeland did pretty good in relief. Uh, but he also, you know, gave up a big long ball. And uh, no one else could really get it done. The, the bullpen was solid. I was totally fine with that bullpen. I'd run it back, uh, aside from Daniel Bard. But, you know, those guys that you had coming out, seven, eight, nine, definitely were, you know, good enough for me. So, uh, other than that, I really enjoyed the series. Me and you, obviously, Jacob, were looking forward to it, uh, you know, for a long time there. But I think it definitely delivered. And I just wish more people were watching it. 97 per house, 97% uh, in Japan. I'd would bet probably under 10% people watching it in the U.S. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, super too. Disappointing. Super disappointing, but um, very cool. I mean, shows how big it is in other countries. No, absolutely. I mean, we're just going over the viewership there and, and about the U.S. participation in pitchers. John disconnected there for a second, but I'm with you 100% on the pitchers. This was, I think, the biggest problem with Team United States is that there's a laundry list of pitchers, not even – a-tier pitchers, some pitchers that we're about to go over, you could even go kind of past this list and still find American pitchers that would be better than some of the guys that were on this team. Not saying that the guys were bad by any stretch of the imagination, but they weren't the, the best option from the starting pitching standpoint. Um, so now let's get into this top 10, top 15 rather, starting pitcher list. And it's a bit different from how we had to rank the positional list because of course, for position players, they have completely different stats. Home runs, RBIs, on-base percentage. Pitchers don't have any of that. So we had to measure from different ways for them. So we started with innings pitch. We did ERA, FIP, strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, home runs per nine, strikeouts, ERA plus, and whip. And we, we made them into point systems where you could either earn a half point to up to two and a half points for 
for being within a certain tier of that stat bracket. So uh, I wanted to make it about the, the same amount of things that we counted for hitters, um, but pitchers, you're going to see way higher point totals. It's just the way that it worked out with, uh, with how good these pitchers are. And that's why we made it from 10 to 15 because there's so many good pitchers. Um, so we're going to start at number 15 here uh, on the list. And Rory, why don't you give it to us? Yeah, coming in at number 15 here uh, with 12 points. So, I mean, starting off hot right out the gate with 12 uh, points on our scale. It's Shane McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Rays, a guy who really burst onto the scene, uh, you know, last year where he was, you know, probably going to be Cy Young uh, votes. And then I think he slipped up a little uh, in the second half, but I uh, was getting a lot of love in the first half there and, you know, really just came on. He really came in 2021. That was his first season and showed some, you know, good signs of life there. 123.1 innings pitch. I liked that. And 3.43 ERA. So he was decent. A good arm there. But 2022, 166 innings pitched, uh, 254 ERA. He got a little injured. But um, really, I mean, what else can you say? 10.5K per nine. Guy was lights out. Uh, huge for fantasy people. I know that. Uh, you know, the K's there is big. So, I mean, a guy that. It's a tough top 10 to break. Uh, he at least gets into 15. I would assume, I guess we'll go through, keep going through. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he'd make it. I don't know if he'd make top 10, but definitely a guy, you know, I feel like I would definitely have in my top 15. Yeah, I, th I think for me, it's really close. I think that he fits right in there at, at 15 with an ERA under three, a lefty that throws 97 plus. Just that makes me want to put him in somehow. I mean, almost 200 strikeouts with 194. That's not even in 200 full innings. Uh, John, what do you think about Shane McClanahan? I actually think he's a little bit even underrated on this list. I gave him a lot of credit last year. When Tyler Glasnow went down, he became the ace of the staff. He really picked up the ball that had been dropped. And I'll tell you what, I, I was really impressed watching him pitch. Um, you know, he finished sixth in the AL Cy Young voting, guys. He's, this guy's the real deal. Yeah. No, you bring up a great point. I mean, again, lefty that throws 97-98, he had to take over and be that ace. And even right now, you know, all these race fans really hype about Tyler Glass now being able to come back for a fully healthy season. And then before he even gets into spring training, he's injured again. So McClanahan thinking maybe, okay, well, I got Glass now back, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, he is still the bona fide ace for Tampa Bay, and they need him to go for the whole ship to run. Absolutely. No, I mean, you're going to need, you need all the pitching you can there. They also, you know, just got rid of a good uh, bit there. So, uh, you know, if they have him and glass now going back to back, that's deadly duo. Uh, you're not going to want to face that going games one, two, you know, if they make the playoffs thing there is they got to make the playoffs. It's uh, I, I could expect some uh, regression there. I don't see much on the offense. Uh, they're going to expect a big season uh, coming back here for Franco, who has been slipping a little bit in my eyes. Uh, but they got it. They got to do it, and it's going to be a tough side there. Obviously, you got the Yankees and Blue Jays, who I would say are pretty much locks, and the Orioles are going to be right on their tail. You know, we we saw what they did last year. Uh, so Tampa Bay Rays always find a way to sneak it out, and I think uh, that one-two they got should help them. Uh, but you know, I got to see it again. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you got to give us fourteen. Yeah. Well, I mean, coming in at number fourteen, shockingly, uh, is going to be also with twelve. Zach Wheeler from my Philadelphia Phillies here. Uh, behind another Philly, I will start with that. Behind another Philly, don't agree with it, but 
uh, a workhorse and, you know, slipped a little bit this year. Obviously, they still went to the World Series, but uh, nothing compared to his 2021 season where 213 innings pitched. Uh, he had the most innings that year, uh, 2.78 ERA, still below uh, that three ERA in 2022 where he had a 2.82, 153 innings pitched. Uh, got a little injured there at the end. That's where he kind of slipped up. Uh, got a little injured going into the playoffs. We got him back for the playoffs. And obviously, you know, was a great pitcher. Uh, a workhorse guy for us usually. Uh, 9.59K per nine. He gets a lot of Ks there. And uh, he's, he's he's the guy. He's the ace in Philadelphia. That's why I'm saying it's shocking that he's behind another Philly. Uh, but, no, definitely would be top 10 for me in the list. I think 14 is a little low. But, you know, he, had, he didn't really come on until <clears> – <throat> You know, he had his first uh, under three season was in 2020. So, I mean, what can you say there? And only 11 games started uh, for the Mets. So, wait, that was for the Mets? I don't think we had him in 2020. I, I think you guys had him in 2020. Phillies did. But uh, as far as Wheeler goes, I think you pointed it out. He he got injured at some point during the season, and that's that docked his overall stats. He would have had more overall points. And if we were basing this off of his 2021 season, he would have had more than 12 points. So I think he's definitely too low on this list. He pitched really well in the playoffs. And he's been a guy that's just been on an upward swing uh, year to year. Every single year, I feel like he's getting just a little bit better. And, uh, you know, dating back to his time with the Mets, look, listen, he's always been able to throw 97, 98. But now it's about he's able to get those seven, eight inning outings He's able to say, you know what, I can go out there and face the number one or number two of another team. Not necessarily something he had with the Mets. What do you think about uh, Zach Wheeler in the top 15, John? Well, of course, you know, this, this would be the, the pitcher that pains me the most to talk about on this <laughs> list. But ha having had his best day or years so far in Philadelphia, uh, but he's been absolutely lights out for the Phillies. I mean, he's averaging a 2.85 ERA across those three years, and he's just been terrific. He, uh, his control has been as good as it's, <clears throat> excuse me, as good as it's been in his career. Uh, he's striking out batters at a tremendous clip, and yeah, you, you know, we, we you can't really dock him for the injury concern. This is really only one of two or three times I think he's pitched below 25 games in a season. So it's not really a concern for me. I think he's going to probably pitch at least 30 or 34, you know, 30 to 35 starts next year. Um, and I, I don't think this will be, I think this will be something that look, be looked at as an aberration um, and in the later years to come. Yeah. Can I dock him? Can I dock him for a second? Uh, you know, obviously I don't usually dock Phillies, but, um, I could talk both of the Phillies pitchers here. Doesn't have much sack, honestly. Uh, he does not. Wow. He doesn't really come through uh, when I need him to. I remember, I'll flash it back to 2021 uh, in a game where we were playing. Obviously, we didn't make the playoffs in 2021. We were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks. He let up six runs within three innings uh, in a game that we, like, we needed to win. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then even obviously in the playoffs, it didn't show up really uh, in the World Series games, I mean. Um, was good through through that in the beginning, uh, but in the World Series games where I need him most, kind of got 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 shut down there, and uh, so I will say that doesn't have uh, much sack to me yet. No, and and you bring up a big thing there because we were really we did not want to give out the it factor points like candy to these pitchers because it was something that we really I mean when you have a list that this close you can't give it to everybody. So I tried to look at who has been consistently good in big games and, and playoffs. 
And while Zach Wheeler is so impressive and so good and he's getting there, it's not quite to the point to where it's that it factor where you go, oh, man, I, I don't know if I want to face him. We definitely can't beat him. He's not there yet, I don't think. Um, so we'll move on in this list now to number 13 and to a guy that does have one of these it factor points. It's Garrett Cole from the New York Yankees. He comes in with 12 points. And you know what? Deservedly so. Um, based off the regular season statistics, he was not a top 10 starting pitcher. 3.50 ERA is the highest on this list. It's the highest, actually. Uh, I did a, I just kind of listed out pitchers on a document, probably of about 30 pitchers. I think it's the highest ERA of any of those pitchers. So he needs to trim that down by a lot. The FIP doesn't even help him out. You, you, the fielding independent pitching stat usually help pitchers out when they have a bit of a higher ERA than they usually do. It can usually tell you, well, maybe he had a defense that wasn't really backing him up and blah, blah, blah. But this year it was saying, average defense or not, Garrett Cole was a three-and-a-half earn run pitcher, and that does not cut it for the contract that he's making. Did he come in the playoffs, and was he the Yankees' best pitcher? Absolutely, and that's why I think he still has that it factor point combined with the fact that he has Cy Young's championship and that 2019 run where nobody could hit him in Houston. He has never gotten back to that with the Yankees, never that good, but I don't think he's lost enough to where you can take that away from him he still had the most strikeouts in Major League Baseball uh, with 257. But, you know, you go back to that ERA of 350, the ERA plus is only 111. So the way to figure out ERA plus is, remember back when we did these hitters, a weighted drunk created plus of 111, you're 11% above league average. That means Garrett Cole's only 11% above league average pitchers, according to ERA plus. He needs a better regular season. Uh, that's my criticism of Garrett Cole. Uh, what about you, John? Yeah, I'll be, uh, this is the first pitcher I think that might actually be slightly overrated on this list. Um, oh. You know, there's, there's there's a lot to like about Cole's uh, numbers. I mean, he led the league in strikeouts, 257 last year, but he also led the league in home runs. He gave up 33 last yeah. year. So it's a lot of feast or famine for Garrett Cole, and that's just really not the consistency you want to see of a top 15 pitcher in baseball. I mean, like you said, he's been very up and down. Um, the, the playoffs were a revelation. You wondered if he still had that, and he does. But I don't know if I'd put him in the top 15 this season. Um, he's got it like – like um, Wow. Like you just said, I think he has to show it to me again, and I need more than just a couple of good games in the playoffs. Okay, Rory's making some faces over here. What, what are we saying, Rory? Yeah, I don't know if John can even see my faces, but um, no, I mean, he's he's on the nail. I mean, I still would have him. I think the thing is I'd still have him in my top 15 because he is Garrett Cole, and I know what he's you know been doing. Uh, but I was going to say, you know, going into this, he's not been what I thought. I was going to ask you, he's not been what you thought you were getting, right? Like, I mean, no. paid for an absolute ace and 3.5 ERA last year, 3.23, even that, uh, that stinks. You're not, that's not, that's not going to cut it there for you guys, especially when you're competing with Aaron judge, you need to hit in his timeline to get a world series. Uh, that's not going to cut it. So you need him to really pick it up. And, uh, you know, like you said, needs to do a little bit better in the postseason as well. He's kind of been hit around. And I think I was at the Red Sox playoff game um, where he got hit around a little bit. Uh, maybe it was just a game late in the season. But um, either way, you know, it's a, a guy that is good. And I, I'd have him in my top 15 for sure. 
Uh, but, you know, he definitely needs to start picking it up a little bit and make that contract. Yeah, and, and this is a question for everyone, too. It's And this is a perfect conversation for it. Where do we draw the line of who you used to be and who you are right now? Is it after one season? Is it after half a season? Is it after two? And that's where I just struggled a lot on this list, particularly with a guy like Eric Cole. You know, John, you're you're like, okay, you know, after one season – maybe not top 15. I mean, you're right. I mean, based off his 2022 stats, he is not a top 15 pitcher, but then he's also Garrett Cole. So what do you think about, I mean, clearly you've made your decision, but in general too, do you think it's with all pitchers after a year we go, okay, maybe they're not top 15 or anymore, or maybe we look at other guys better. How do you view that? Well, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, I think that, you know, over the course of a season, we kind of fluctuate our views on pitchers as they go, I and mean, even from game to game or week to week. But I think over the course of a full season, if a pitcher makes 35 starts or 36 starts, I think you have a pretty clear picture of how how that pitcher has been, that how valuable he's been for that entire season. You know, it, it's one thing to perform well in the regular season; it's another thing to perform well in the playoffs. But I, you know, for for, where, for me right now, I think there's enough, even you know including his previous body of work when he was absolutely lights out in 2021, you know, it, it, pitching, it can, it can be so fallible that it can, something like that can be lost in just one year. So okay. yeah, for me, I, I, I'm going to need to see more from him. I could maybe change my mind maybe halfway through next season, but I'm going to need to see a lot more on the stat sheet and just better quality pitching. He's going to have to reduce the home runs for me. No, that, that's a really fair point. I mean, you know, I wrestle with it all the time. I don't even have a, a concrete stance on it. It really is, for me, almost a person-by-person person case where I just kind of go, well, you know, based on my feel type of thing, but that's not how you should really do things. And, you know, it, it, is a, it, it does make sense. After a full season body of work, that is enough to see what this guy's been for you. That's 200 innings. In this case, especially for Garrett Cole, not a lot of people are pitching 200 innings. He did. Uh, that's a big enough sample size. What about you, Rory? Yeah, no, I, I differ from, I differ from, I know you for sure. Um, I don't know John's top 15, uh, you know, just looking at my screen, but uh, I definitely, you know, I'm taking recent years into effect. You know, I, I will have my top 10 based off recent performances of who I think is the best. Um, and that's where kind of these, you know, hall of famers are getting knocked on my list because, you know, I just don't, you know, obviously there's two that I think are really good, but there's one, one in particular coming up very shortly uh, that I just don't know if I still have in my top 10 because I think there's younger guys better than him that are doing it at a higher clip and, you know, playing a lot more and getting a lot more innings. Uh, but in, in the term of Garrett Cole, you know, it's a he needs to pick it up. Like I said before, he just needs to, you know, start going back down beneath a 3RA. It's a great start. Uh, he's still, you know, pushing out 200 innings, which is good to see on your end, but um, he needs to, you know, kind of limit the runs there and start going back to what you guys paid him for. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on him is, is when you can make an argument for not one, but two pitchers on his own staff that could be ahead of him based on last year, that's a problem too. Um, you know, with Nestor and Rodon, Rodon. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see about that as the list goes on. John, how about you give us number 12? I don't know if he has a list in front of him. 
Yeah, no, uh, that's but so we'll we'll go to number twelve on the list here. No worries. Uh, with the yeah, yeah I, I got you, Jake. Okay. Kershaw was not at number twelve. I, no, no surprise to anyone who follows him. Clayton Kershaw was clearly one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last more than a decade. Um, I I I love him at number twelve. You guys have given him twelve and a half points, and of, of course, with three times Cy Young winner, he better have the effect. <laughs> Yeah, no, and this is this is a guy that uh, you know Rory just said, uh, you know, some of these Hall of Famers they're getting docked on his list. I I look at, I mean, every time he pitches, he's still good. You, you look at this year, two point two eight ERA in one hundred twenty six innings, with an ERA plus of one eighty four. You know, that's eighty four percent above league average when the guy is on the mound. The question is, is he on the mound now? You could also say, what about twenty twenty one? where he had a three-and-a-half ERA like Garrett Cole did this year. But, again, that's over a year ago. Now, the problems with Kershaw also consist of he's getting older. The injuries are happening not just once a year, but pretty much two IL stints a year. The last two to three years have been for Clayton Kershaw. So uh, there are those concerns. But I think much like with Garrett Cole and much like with three or four other guys on this list, he is Clayton Kershaw. And how do you not have him on a top pitcher list He's still that guy to me, though, to where on my personal list, I have him way higher because I'm like, he's still Clayton Kershaw. What has he shown that he's not when he's actually on the mound? Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he was the guy I was talking about. I think he's I think he's right there at 12. I don't know if I'd put him, like I said, I don't know if I'd put him top 10. Uh, just because he is, dude, he's getting killed. Uh, he hasn't thrown over, he hasn't thrown over 150 innings. Uh, since 2019, so uh, he's getting yeah. killed by injuries, and obviously he's still good when he's out there. But you know, we talk about a guy who, you know, has the it obviously three times Cy Young and a World Series championship. Uh, he stinks in the playoffs. He's there's no flat out. He's terrible in the playoffs. So he actually he doesn't have sack. Uh, he's just good over time. Um, but when it comes to like you know nutting up and shutting up, he's been terrible in the playoffs. Uh, and that's just been his entire career. Obviously, 194 innings pitched in the playoffs. That's unbelievably impressive. Uh, more than what is what past three seasons we got up on here is. So, uh, yeah. very cool. So, he's like, basically got an entire regular season in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a guy, generational talent, right up there for best pitcher of the decade. Um, and you, you can't knock him for that, especially what he did in 2022, a 2.28 ERA. The question I'll throw out there to you guys as well, how much do you take into the fact that he's not, you know, chasing like a giant contract and is staying with a team that's obviously been great throughout the decade as well? Yeah, John, I'll let you go first. How much does that help? Certainly from a fan's standpoint, you have to love to see it. I mean, the, the man simply loves playing in Los Angeles. He's been there more than 10 years and you know I, I you have to know he, he's going to retire as a dodger um it, it it speaks to not only his 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 love for his teammates uh his love for baseball necessarily and it, you know the, the, the dodgers have been a, a tremendous force in the west for such a long time that why would you leave you know what what, <laughs> what you know what 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 better place would there for be for Clayton Kershaw to, to continue and end his career than in Los Angeles? So you really love to see it just from strictly from a fan standpoint and, and from a player standpoint, you know, as well, like if they continue to make 
playoffs. They will probably make the World Series again in the next couple of years. I think Clayton Kershaw will pitch in the World Series again in the next five years. Whoa. It's going to last five years? Yeah, that's that's my only thing. Does he last five? But I could see him pitching in one again. That's for sure. Um, but I'm with you, John, because uh, there's not a lot of players in Major League Baseball that are staying with their teams for their whole careers. I love to see it. Uh, it, it needs to happen more. And I think that you're going to get somewhat of a version of that now, now that you've seen some of these free agents, even though they're going to have played with multiple teams. Let's say a guy like Trey Turner, by the end of that 11-year contract, he will be remembered almost exclusively as a Philly after 11 years of playing there. So we're going to get some of that back with these long-term contracts, but it's still not all the way through day one to the final day of your career that we're seeing anymore. So I'm with you there, and I love to still see that. And uh, now num- uh, number 11, Rory, you got to give that to us as well. Yeah, the number two pitcher of the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, Aaron Nola, which a guy who is slept on. Um, I've, I saw a stat. There's no one since, like, Aaron Nola's come on here uh, with, like, a better war. It was within a year, you know, that I forget, um, within the range of those years. Um, but a guy who's – Clearly, my number two was a number one until Wheeler came in. Uh, but he, an innings eater, and he gets K's. I mean, 205 innings pitched this year, 32 games start, 3.25 ERA. His best season uh, did come, you know, a little early on. He hasn't really come back since. But uh, a 10.32 K per nine, a 1.27 walk per nine. I mean, what can you ask for there? He brought the home runs down in 2022, which was good to see. Only .83 home runs per nine there uh, and 235 Ks. A guy that, you know, every season he's bound to give it 200-plus Ks and fight for the K title there in the National League. So uh, a guy, you know, who I I enjoy. He's about to get a big contract uh, probably for the Phillies. We're about to sign him to an extension. But um, I already said it before with Wheeler. This guy doesn't sack up at all either. Uh, they're both neck and neck right there. Um, and Ranger Suarez is the only one that sacks up on the, on the team right now. So, uh Either way, a good pitcher, and I don't think I'd have him top ten like I would Wheeler, but uh, I think I think he'd be top fifteen for sure, maybe right outside. Okay, all right. What about you, John? I'm actually in a very similar boat to Rory. I think that that's a spot on assessment. I, I definitely have Wheeler above him, but I really impressed by Nola's bounce back year. He had a poor showing in 2021. He averaged an ERA of 4.63. Uh, so he really got it together. Um, he appeared in Cy Young voting. I mean, he was a fourth in the NL Cy Young voting last year. So he really upped his game. Um, but I mean, like like you said, Zach Wheeler is is definitely the class of the Phillies staff. If you're going to put anybody in the top ten, it, it should be him. Um, but Nola is a terrific number two, uh, and you you could do a lot worse than Aaron number Aaron Nola is your second best pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. And and you guys both hit it with why he might be valued ahead. It's the innings. He, he 205 innings with, with the 235 Ks, and that just with the totality of his points, it just put him ahead of Zach Wheeler and even guys like Garrett Cole and Clayton Kershaw. So that's crazy. And now we move into the actual top 10. If I was not nice, we would have just done a top 10, and we wouldn't have given these little bonus listings to the uh, 11 through 15. So let's get started on the top 10. From the Chicago White Sox with 13 overall points, it's Dylan Cease. And this is a guy who last year, coming off of 2021, that was disappointing in terms of what they thought he could be. 
This is a guy that came into the big leagues throwing 100 miles an hour with a wicked slider. White Sox brass is hyped up about him when he came up into the league. And he kind of had a year and a half there where he came in and was not up to par. He was behind Lynn and Giolito. He was at times behind other starters that have since left the organization. And he never really got his footing until this year when Giolito mixed with injuries and inconsistent performance. Same thing with Lance Lynn. You had Dallas Keuchel end up leaving the team. And then it just happened to be that Dylan Cease was not just the White Sox best pitcher, but one of the best in baseball, one of the best in the American League. He had a full 32 start season, 2.20 ERA with a 3.09 FIP. Whenever I see ERA drops like a 391 to a 220, the first thing I'm looking for is that FIP. And if you look at the comparison from 21 to 22, he's really not that much different. The FIP in 21 could have told you that he had the potential to be much better than a 391 ERA pitcher. But I, I, nobody ever thought really that he could get to 2.20. He had 11.10 Ks per nine. The walks are a bit high. The home run rate just fell into that bracket where he could get points for our list at 0.78 per nine. He had a two, excuse me, 227 Ks and a 180 ERA plus, which is phenomenal for a full season's work. Unlike Clayton Kershaw, who put that in in 129 innings. So Dylan Cease, this is a guy who could be on this list for a long time. John. Yeah, I think that's just putting it mildly, Jacob. I think this guy has Cy Young potential, maybe, maybe even as early as this year. I mean, he was just an animal last year. 32 starts. We just talked about 227 Ks. The man was unbelievable. He did struggle with his command. You hit on that. He, his walks are a concern. He led the majors, in fact, with 78 of them. Ooh. It's to be. It's sometimes these kinds of mistakes are to be expected from a flamethrower, and that's exactly what this guy is. His whip is low. His strikeouts are high. You love to watch him pitch, and man, you touched on it when the when the building was crumbling all around him. When the roster looked like a mess, when Giolito couldn't find it anymore, this guy stepped up and had the best season of his career, and I think he has better days in front of him. Yeah, don't I look like the idiot in 2021? I had him on my fantasy team, and I uh, didn't use him as my keeper. But he still won me a championship in 2020, uh, 2021, and uh, 2022 obviously showed out even more. Uh, what's interesting, you know, that I like to see, 32 games started both seasons. Uh, 184 in the pitch versus uh, in 2021, 165, so he went up there. Uh, 3.91 ERA, you guys already touched on it, in 2021. 2.20 ERA in 2022. That's a monumental change. And, uh, you know, like I said, he, he sacked up when he needed to for a Chicago White Sox team that needed it. And still, they got a, they got some pieces that they need, they need to put together, but it looks like they could build around Dylan Cease for a good good time there. And uh, Andrew Benatendi, I would say, you know, his contract being the largest in uh, Chicago White <laughs> history, that should, you know, come to a close whenever Dylan Cease is ready. Oh, I would hope so. I would hope so. Him and Tim Anderson Tim Anderson deserve higher paid contracts than Ben Intendi. So now let's move on to number nine. Uh, actually, my goodness, I forgot again. Y you have to give us number nine, Rory. Yeah, coming in at number nine, uh, Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Guardians, a guy who, you know, I really, uh, really expected a lot of great stuff from. So he won the, uh, you know, Cy Young there in 2020 in the COVID season and looked unbelievable. Uh, I mean, Top five starter in the MLB, unbelievable. 
Uh, 1.63 ERA, 77.1 innings pitched, uh, 14.2K. He was unstoppable in 2020. And then falls off a little bit there in 2021, got injured, 3.17 ERA, and only 16 games started, 96.2 innings pitched. 2022, he has a full season. Kind of see what you get there. 200 innings pitched, obviously that's great. 31 game start, that's great. The 2.88 ERA, better than the year before, uh, but not like what you were expecting. And the strikeouts dipped monumentally, 8.91 versus that 14.2 and 12.4 as well. Um, The Guardians are a team that will forever have, you know, whatever pitcher comes up is probably unbelievable because they just have a pitcher factory there. I don't know what they're doing, but every single person they have is great. Um, And he's another guy with a 1.62 walk per nine. So he's a great pitcher. I will have him right here, right on the cusp of, you know, 9-10, just because I think he has that potential and he just needs to do it again. You know, Uh, you talk about guys that just need to keep doing it. This is a guy that prove it again. And he could even, you know, shoot up this list. Yeah, you know, you do, you do talk about guys that uh, don't sack up, though. He doesn't. Uh, he blows it every time against the Yankees in the playoffs. And uh, you listen, he can have these phenomenal seasons just like he just did. I was scared going into the Guardians here. I'm like, we got Bieber, McKenzie, uh, Quantrill, and those three are going to be rolling up to Yankee Stadium and, and Progressive Field. So I was a little bit worried there. Uh, but Bieber just doesn't seem to click in the playoffs. And I think it's because in these regular seasons, you can, and I don't want to, I don't want to call it getting away with it, but he's more of a crafty pitcher. He doesn't throw 96 miles per hour. So when you get to the playoffs and that location is just slightly off, I think that's where he kind of wavers a little bit. And especially when the strikeout numbers go down by almost four from a year to year basis, and you're not getting the swings and misses that's going to happen to you. And so he might have to go through a little bit of a career adjustment here. I mean, that's hard to say for a guy that is consistently never higher than like a 3-3 ERA. But, I mean, the going back to 2019, it was a 3.28. That was his highest. So consistency, consistency, consistency. But I still think, you know, you get to these playoff games, you got to step up, Shane Bieber. And John. Yep. I think it's tough to, to completely knock him for the playoffs again last year. Again, I'm going to make the point of the, of the regular season being just slightly more important for me to judge a pitcher just on the body of work. Um, you know, like you mentioned, he's not a fireballer, and, and that's because he just that's just not his game. He relies on breaking stuff, and he has a very a very plus curveball. Um, but you know, it's not it's not like he's ever going to learn other pitches um, and he's certainly not going to increase the velocity on his fastball. No one, but Jacob DeGrom has managed to do that probably in the history of baseball. <laughs> so it's, it, it you're going to get what you're going to get from Shane Bieber. But I think throughout the years and including up to, and including last season, you pretty much know the guy you're going to get and being predictable, even if sometime predictable is boring. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I like I, I like boring pitchers because they keep zeros on the scoreboard. You know, I and, and that's and that's more than fine for me. It's it you know, Shane Bieber is the number one pitcher on your staff. You, you might not have the best staff in the world, but you you know what you're gonna get every time out from this guy. No, it's a good point. You know, you're gonna throw him out every fifth day and you're gonna get innings and you're gonna get one to three run ball. And that's what he's just going to give you. And he's been doing it for four years and sometimes even does it way better than that. Like you pointed out, Rory, in 2020. But, John, I know you want to give us number eight, but it might be a little bittersweet. 
Oh, that's an understatement of the year. Number eight, my my former man, Jacob DeGrom, now pitching for your Texas Rangers, given 13 and a half points on the list. And big surprise here, he has the it factor, something he's never lost throughout his career. And I think he'll continue to have for Texas. Oh, man, the, the last two years for Jacob certainly have been bittersweet for Mets fans. And now they'll see him in different colors down in Rangerland. Yeah, you know, it, it. when he left, I mean, I'll just ask your thoughts on it. I mean, about the, the situation itself. I mean, were you surprised? We've, we've kind of heard some, I guess, back alley talk about what really went down. Buck Showalter, kind of wishy-washy about it at times. Uh, what, what do you think uh, about it? I mean, personally for me, good for him. He, he's going out to another team, maybe gave him a little bit more money. Uh, likes the area of Texas more, but uh, what do you think as an actual Mets fan and working uh, for the Mets? Well, it's certainly tough to see. I mean, no, no, no one wanted this from the organization, and not not least, you know, below the ownership. Um, you know, he, he, he's a a company guy. He came up through the Mets. Um, it, not there haven't been too many guys the Mets have brought up in the last decade or so, um, thanks to poor drafting ability and poor talent evaluation that have come up all the way through the system to be all stars and of course Cy Young winners. Um, but it, it it was very it was difficult to see him go, but I, I can't say I was surprised and I can't necessarily say I blame him. Um, I think there's still some sore spots that were never really smoothed over, um, especially after the contract negotiations, uh, the way his injuries were handled. And I'm just not entirely sure that, you know, the departure was an entirely friendly one. So yes, you know, you can of course make lots and lots of, you know, other ulterior motives. Texas has much lower uh, taxes. Uh, they don't have a state income tax the way New York does. Um, not, not to include the city and county taxes, which you'd also be paying if you lived in New York City. Um, but, you know, I I just think that I, I can't say it, it's a good thing because I would never want to see what I believe is probably the best pitcher that has ever played for the Mets to leave. I think that the divorce was eventual, and I think that it's probably going to eventually be a good thing for both sides. No, that that's a that's an interesting take on it. It's a fair take on it because you know you, it's not like you can be mad really at either side. I think it just was mishandled uh, in a general sense, and I think it's one of those things that we're going to look back on ten years from now, and someone's going to do a tell all on how it happened. But I think part of me feels like one day when Degrom is retired, I I feel like he'll go back to the Mets in terms of a legacy standpoint. I don't feel like it's severed. I mean, do you think it's it's to that point to where when he retires, he can't affiliate with the organization anymore and he's cut ties? Or how do you think that's going to go? No, I don't, I don't think any, I would rule anything out. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily bad blood. Um, I just feel like, you know, his, his overall feelings on the matter were that it just didn't work out um, and that things could have been handled better as you said. So, you know, do, is the return out of the question? Absolutely not. Do I think it's going to happen though? I would probably not put my money on that. But if I saw Jacob deGrom retire as a Met, you know that the fan base certainly would welcome him with very open arms.
Yeah, I mean they they've done this before. They did it with Seaver. Um, I did he he retired with the Mets, correct? Yes. Yeah. Right. So they they did with this with him. I mean, if they could do something similar, uh, that would be great in the future. But in terms of him as an actual pitcher, he's been injured a lot, and and so that's the main thing that everyone talks about. Right when he got injured in spring training this year, before he threw a pitch for the Texas Rangers, people started to flip out. This one was over a bit more of a minor injury to me. I didn't really freak out at this one. But, you know, when he is on the mound, he's the best pitcher in baseball, period. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's anyone close. When he is on his game, he is throwing 100 miles an hour with a 93-mile-per-hour slider. Nobody else is doing that other than maybe Otani. I don't even think Otani will get up to 93 on a slider. He'll hit, a, he'll hit 101, not on that slider. DeGrom's stuff, nobody beats it when he is on his game. Uh, what do you think, Rory, about – do you think, Rory, he can get back to that, or is that DeGrom over? Do you think this is a good spot for him? Well, no, I think this all goes into the contract situation. You know, you take one hand, Steve Cohen, I'm shocked he let him go. I mean, the guy throws money like it's – I mean, he's at a strip club. It's ridiculous. Uh, so you're shocked <laughs> to see him let him go. Then again, with Steve in his mind saying, this guy hasn't pitched, you know – 32 games in three years. I mean, so uh, am I going to pay him what Texas is going to pay him? I don't know. Uh, I honestly, John, think he might have gotten a break here if he, you know, obviously gets injured. Um, You know, that's, I mean, that's clear as day. But to go back to what you guys were asking, if he has success in Texas um, and, you know, it was a bad departure, I would say he would go into the Hall of Fame as a Ranger. um, Wow. Based off, like, if he has success for a team, didn't make the playoffs in the year before, uh, and he goes back to what he was, um, where he can, you know, give a little little bit there. He didn't win anything in New York. Um, he just won Cy Young's, where his team wasn't even, like, providing him a good record. So, uh, I think – how long was the contract? Six years, right? Six years enough to do it. Six years enough to do it. Uh, he could easily – especially if, like, like I said, if he was getting the money from Steve Cohen and he still didn't want to go back – then, you know, there's something there. So it's either Steve Cohen, you know, said, I don't want to pay for a guy that's been injured, or, you know, I'm going to pay him. And it was just DeGrom saying, I don't want to come back. We don't really know that. I don't know if we'll ever know that, um, maybe until after he retires. But uh, there's definitely some some mixed feelings there. I But my true feeling would be that great pitcher, if he finds success again in Texas, I would say he would retire uh, and go in the Hall of Fame as a Ranger. Interesting. Interesting. We'll have to see how it plays out over a long period of time. Uh, But now let's move into a pitcher at number seven who probably will not be a Milwaukee Brewer by this time next year, Corbin Burns. He is a strikeout machine, much like Garrett Cole. And interestingly enough, they they were kind of closer than you might think based off of this season. I mean, Corbin Burns coming in with a 14.5, Garrett Cole coming in with a 12. The reason that I say that is because, and I'm trying to get here on the thing, so the fit was 3.14. Obviously, all that is better. But the home run rate, 1.02. Garrett Cole, 1.48. They are both high strikeout pitchers that throw kind of flat fastballs that give up a lot of home runs. They can be very lethal when they can be lethal. As we saw in 21 with Corbin Burns, he was essentially unhittable with a 1.63 fit in, in an entire season as a starter with a 12.61 Ks per nine. That's incredible. That ERA plus went all the way down from 170 to 134, which compared to a lot of other of these guys, that it's not there. I mean, he's kind of more so out of the top 15 if you go by that, or or maybe closer to Shane Bieber from last year, 132 ERA plus. So 
I, I think a lot of people, namely MLB Network, who put Corbin Burns at number one, will look at that 2021 FIP of 1.63, look at the continuous sustainable strikeout numbers, even though they went a little bit down, and say, this guy strikes out a lot of people, he throws hard, he's got a bunch of spin on his curveball and slider, and he's a difference maker. But I just don't think, A, he's number one like MLB Network has him, and, and B, I don't even know if he's number seven. I, I That might be wrong by me. It just might. What about you, John? Well, I like him a little higher than seven, to be honest with you, but certainly not one. So I think I think it's somewhere in between the two. Um, you were definitely right where he's not going to be a brewer past this season. In fact, probably before halfway through the season, I would imagine. It, you, you would think a guy like this would be terrific deadline day bait, but if, if a team is smart, they'll go out and get him before then. I mean, this if you're going to make a trade for this guy, you should be doing it in May or June. What do you want to talk about the trade uh, the deadline? Seriously. So this is definitely a guy, if you're in need of a quality pitcher that's going to get you through into October, this is a guy I would absolutely look to spend some money on. He's still pretty young. He's only 27 years old this year. And I, I, very similar numbers to the previous season in 2021. Again, they, so, you know, he, he did have some increases. His ERA went up for sure. But you talked about the strikeout numbers, how very similar. He's still throwing hard, and he's still effective. Does get into trouble sometimes with his command. But, man, I would absolutely be looking at this guy in, in the mid-months of the season if I needed a pitcher. No, I mean, and, and when, whoever he's traded to, it, it's going to light up that franchise. Like, if it's a San Diego, it is San watch Diego. out. You know? San Diego. Yeah, uh, but Rory, what do you think about Corbin Burns? Because we've talked about him a good amount, and I, I don't know where you have him in relation to everyone else. No, I like him. I like him right around here. Um, you know, I think there's a few people I put him over here, so maybe, you know, 5-7 range. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, definitely top 10 for me, you know, a guy who I think – like you just said, I think he is a San Diego Padre by, uh, you know, the deadline there. Just because I think San Diego is going to realize, hey, my time to win is right now. We got four stars on offense, and I got you, Darvish, throwing meatballs uh, on uh, my pitcher. So uh, I, they're going to have to go out and get them. I don't know what prospects they have to trade, um, but it's definitely going to be an interesting scenario there. Someone is going to pick him up. It's bad blood with Milwaukee right now. They are saying, apparently, that he cost them the playoffs last year, which is just – egregious because they still got barely any hitters there uh, and he was the only one kind of showing out still below three era uh striking out a high clip 243 k's last season uh the 1.02 home runs is you know wherever i don't like the uptick in walks per nine but you know still averaging above 10 k's per nine that's elite and he's, he was doing it at a very good clip there uh 33 games started workhorse for them and for them to say that is kind of, you know, just putting the nail in the coffin. Uh, if you, This guy is in the middle of contract negotiations. You just won an arbitration deal over him for no good reason. I don't know why you're trying to, you know, limit. Obviously, it's a business, but uh, pay the guy his money. You don't want to cause bad blood if you're going to lose one of your best pitchers uh, when you're still trying to compete. So it's, I don't know what the Brewers are doing, um, but I definitely have them in that 5-7 range. Okay, you know, and the, and the funny thing about it is, too, is it's not just him that you have to have a relationship with. It's Brandon Woodruff, who it's like, well, you can do whatever you want with the Burns thing and treat it like a business. But when you have another contract situation going on with Woodruff, 
is he going to look at this now and say, well, you didn't respect Corbin Burns. I'm out of here too. So it could have a lot of ramifications and uh, yeah, unfortunate there with the arbitration case with Burns. But now, John, let's go back to you here for number six, the first Met on the list. You heard it here first. Get excited, New York fans. Number six on the list. <laughs> what a pickup this guy was last year. Max Scherzer giving 14 and a half points. <laughs> Man, the guy is still doing it. Near 40 years old, still has the it factor, and I think you've got him in a perfect spot at number six. Okay. Yeah, no, six is – and I'll let you go, Rory, because six, I'm like, I still think he's better because he's Max Scherzer, but where do you have him? Yeah, I mean, I got him – he's he's older. There's no doubt about it, but he's just been doing it for me especially too. He's been on two of my fantasy championships. Uh, it's a guy who you're like, okay, he's old, but 2022, 2021, 2019, sub-3 ERA for a guy – and he's actually going down. Uh, 2.9 yeah. in 2019, 2.21, I mean, 2.46 in 2021, and a 2.29 in 2022. Uh, he's getting better with age, actually. Obviously, got a little injured there last season and the year before. Um, they stole him, you know, whatever the na- uh, Nationals gave up, Turner and, uh, Turner and Scherzer in that Dodgers trade, that was completely lopsided uh and it's funny that you know neither of them are on the Dodgers anymore but uh it's still a guy you know I have him a little higher especially over the you know the four or five that we got here um yeah but I you know right around there I don't know if he would crack my top three um just because I like the three there a little yeah I, I don't know if he'd crack the top three I think he's in a good spot you know right around in this range that you could just argue any of them um but a guy you know obviously he's a Met now and I I I don't hate him. My dad hates him actually a lot. And just because I think he's a division. Um, but I don't I don't hate him just because he's helped me a little bit win some money. It's, uh, it's a love-hate relationship for him, and he hasn't done too much against me. You know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he hasn't directly hurt the Phillies yet. But, uh, yeah, obviously future Hall of Famer and is in there. And I think he should be over who's coming in at number five with 15 points from the New York Yankees, Carlos Rodon. And, and listen, I'm not taking away from what Rodon has done the last two seasons. He has had an incredible two-season run over there um, in San Francisco. One of the seasons in San Francisco, the other one with the White Sox. Last year, 2.88 ERA. He had the lowest FIP in the National League with a 2.25, which is very interesting because, A, San Francisco is always known for their good defense, and, B, that ballpark is humongous. So usually that can either help you out a lot or to do the opposite effect. So it's just interesting to see where those stats fall at the end of these years for Giants pitchers. Um, he had an 11.98 Ks per nine, 2.63 walks per nine, 0.61 home runs per nine, 237 Ks and an ERA plus of 140. The season before, a 2.37 ERA, 2.65 fit with more strikeouts per nine. So this is, I mean, last two seasons, yeah, he probably is a top five pitcher, but what happens to him? He gets into spring training. He makes one start. He's out until May optimistically. And we know with the Yankees and their injury diagnoses, they usually are not right. I don't know whether it's intentional. A lot of Yankee fans think it's intentional. Uh, Some think they just don't know what they're talking about sometimes. But I think Rodon is probably back in June if we're being optimistic. 
you know, this is a guy with many problems with his arm. This is yet another arm injury. And signing him to a six-year contract at the money that he got is incredibly worrisome before he even throws a pitch in the regular season. So he could do whatever he wants in the last two years. But if he comes in year one and, and you can't give me a full year, I don't know if he can be top five or even top ten for that matter. Uh, what about you guys? Because he's been great, and I wouldn't blame either of you for putting him in there. Uh, we'll go with you, Rory. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a top five. Uh, obviously a good pitcher, and I know the, the White Sox are kicking themselves for letting him go because uh, they'd be jumping for joy if they had Cease and Rodon at the top instead of Giolito and Lynn, you know, who they're putting all that money in. So uh, definitely definitely a good pitcher. And, you know, I feel like you guys – what was the contract there? It was 6 and, and 180, but I'll have to clarify the number. Yeah, either way, a good number there. I mean, you're not, you're not really – I don't think you'll miss on that contract. Uh, I think he'll probably produce right around here. You've seen it back-to-back years, so he's done it again. Uh, that beneath the three ERA, that's where you need him to stay. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he plays with the Yankees. Obviously, bigger stadium with, you know, San Francisco, obviously. Uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that happens and that, you know, home run rate goes up or down. Uh, I'll be, I'll be following along with that, but uh, I think a good guy overall, um, don't have him top five. I have him back end top 10, uh, maybe even slightly outside. I'd have to, you know, look, look a little deeper into that, but, um, definitely not top five for me. What about you, John? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think significantly overrated here and and it's just because the the injury risk is so extreme with this guy absolutely electric when he's on the mound but he hasn't started more than 30 games in a season more than once so it's it, it really speaks to if you can keep this guy out there and pitching you're going to have a ton of success if like you said the first couple of games and he's already having an issue you might had not even get close to a full season. So I, I can't put him in the top I, – I, I can't. I can't put him in the top ten if if I don't know for sure that this guy is going to be able to perform day in and day out. On, it, a pitcher is only as good as his appearance. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it, I'm feeling the same way as you. I mean, you know, I, I thought it would be maybe not popular to say that he's not top ten, but – I don't think he is. I, I just don't think he is. He needs to stay healthy. And that might even be, prove it to me in t- 2024, because he's going to miss time this year, and we're going to need to see a full season out of him. But at number four from the Atlanta Braves with 15 and a half points, it's Max Freed. Wow. Uh, top four pitcher for Max Freed. That is surprising, to say the least. But he had a better season than you would think, 2.48 ERA. That's really low. That's one of the lowest that we've said so far, 2.70 fifth. The strikeout's not high, but they've never really been high. He's never had double-digit strikeouts per nine. The walks, pretty good, 1.55 per nine. Home run rate, really good at 0.58 per nine, and that has gone down since 2019, where it used to be over a home run per nine. Now it's barely over half a home run per nine. And then an ERA plus of 164, which is really, really good. 185 and a third. This is a guy who's won a championship, but we did not give him the it factor because, I mean, John, you're a Met fan. Rory, you're a Phillies fan. I'm an outsider. I am never scared of Max Fried while watching him. He didn't have a good playoff run this year. And you know, I, he didn't really do anything memorable, memorable, even on the World Series run. 
you know, it was a team effort. The bullpen was whatever, what that team was known for and the offense and what they were able to put together. So I think this also Freed's a little overrated. What about uh, John? Well, you can go first. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I, I'm not even sure he's the best pitcher on the staff, to be completely honest with you. I really like Spencer Strider, and I, I sort of hate to love Spencer Strider for how good he is and how, how much he's dominated the Mets in the, in the few games he, play, he pitched against them last year. But, yeah, I, I think I think he got freed a little too high. Um, you know, he's a good – He's I, I, I would put him in the very good but not great pitchers right now um, and probably just scraping the top ten but definitely not – one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball. Um, Like you said, he doesn't, you know, it's surprising too, with his ERA as low as he had last year, a 2.48, extremely quiet. He he was never a guy you, you totally feared on the mound or felt like you were ever, you know, super duper worried about, but he held his own. I mean, he he certainly drew the eye of the Cy Young voters. He almost won the Cy Young last year. It wasn't necessarily close, but he did finish second (laughs) overall. And, you know, to, to give him a little bit more credit, he also won the Gold Glove. Not that that's a ton of value, but, you know, it, it is a guy who, who has at least dedicated himself to not only the art of pitching, but the art of fielding his position. So there is some value there, but I, and I'm just not convinced he's a top 10 guy. Um, and last year, you know, if, if we if we discount 2020, you know, as as one of those just strange occurrences that you can't really judge pitchers by, he's really only had three good years so far in his in his six total yeah. so you know it, it it's kind of an up and down situation for max Fried, and you know I, I just don't like him right now in the top 10 yeah no that's fair that's fair what about you rory does he make your top 10 again i think i i he's not four there's no doubt about that he's not four for sure um i i don't know if he's fully, you know, out of the top 10, though. I mean, I think I'd have him right there, you know, right at the back end. Uh, maybe he could squeak out there, but uh, you're right on the money. I'll never be intimidated from him just because he doesn't have overwhelming stuff. And, you know, a good comparison here would be um, you were talking crafty pitching for Shane Bieber. This guy's a crafty pitcher, uh, but he'll never come at me with 97. Uh, he's never going to throw that down the pipe there. Um, his slider got hit around in the playoffs all day of the week. Um and he's a guy, you know, that's kind of new to the scene, I guess. 2019 was his first season, I believe. Um, I had him, I remember in fantasy, he was doing really well. Obviously better than I thought that 4.02 ERA, but um, he's getting better. That's the thing. 4.02 in 2019, 2021 a 3.04. There's a one-point jump. And then 2022, 2.48. He's, he's getting better by the time. Um, I, I would say he's probably the top pitcher on the Braves. Uh, just because Strider has to do it again. Um and neither of them were, you know, intimidating the playoff. Strider obviously coming off an injury, but um, he has to do it again for me. So I can't say he's better than a guy yeah. that's been doing it for four seasons. Um, yeah. But I would say he's, I would say he's probably the best pitcher right now on the Braves, um, and he's right on the edge of ten for me. Ten maybe coming out the backside. Okay. All right. You yeah, know, and Kyle Wright out there in Atlanta as well uh, to mention as well as who could be uh, one of the top pitchers out there in Atlanta. But now let's get to the top three and talking about a guy that we led the pod off with Shohei Otani coming in with 16 and a half points as a pitcher. We haven't even talked about his offense on any of these pods because we have him as a DH. And by the way, we have not forgotten about that pod. We're still going to do top 10 DHs. We'll probably just jam it into next week's pod uh, very quickly. But 
this is a guy, I, we, everyone knows the story about Otani. I don't need to be the one to explain it to you, but I think I need to be the one to point out how good he is as a pitcher. People point out that he does both, but how good is he at it? I mean, 2.33 ERA, 2.40 FIP, almost 12 Ks per nine. The walks, okay, you know, 2.39. Maybe he's not as tuned in as you might want with the walks, but he struck out over 200. The ERA plus is at 172, which is only six less than Sandy. What what do you want? He hits 40 home runs. He does this with the ERA. He's the ace of your staff. And then I see him last night in person do it in front of my face. And he comes in and he closes that game. And the entire state, I have never been in a place where one man creates that much attention, that much spotlight, and then he just owns it. And he did it. I, I can never criticize the guy. I really can't. Uh, he is a phenom. And and uh, the, the question is whether he's three, two, or one. I think it's a little too jumpy to say he's two or one and maybe even a little jumpy to say he's three with the low ERA. But, I mean, he throws 100 miles per hour with a wicked slider. If he if take everything else away from Shohei Otani, take away the fact that he's a pitcher and a hitter. If he was just a pitcher with these stats, we'd be flipping out about him. He's a fantastic pitcher, and I think personally he should be here at number three. What about you, John? absolutely belongs at number three and anyone who argues with you on this just have him have them watch his games the man is absolutely unbelievable if you shelved if you completely shelved his batting numbers and only looked at his pitching i'd still think he would garner mvp votes the man is an absolute machine i i I hate to say it but i think he was the mvp of baseball last season oh no john I know. I know. Oh. I know I'm going to catch a lot of heat for that one. But if I had a vote, uh, uh, he had two first place votes. One of them would have been mine. Hey, you know, I mean, listen, a- after the whole season and the emotions of it went away, I did sit there and was like, you know, you're going to look at this and you're going to look at the season he just had and the two in a row that he just had for Otani. And you're going to go, he didn't win MVP. I mean, everyone's going to look at the history books and say, oh, that's why. That's fine. And, and that's basically why a judge got the MVP. And that might be why everyone gets the MVP. Whatever league Otani's in, it's going to be, oh, that's why. He had to do something absolutely incredible to do it. And 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 so it's very much that, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James thing in the NBA where uh, we can't give it to him every time. And uh, that's the type of player that he is, though, that you have to talk about him like that. What about you, Rory? Because we always have our playful banter about Otani. But, I mean, it it's incredible. No, it is good. And my whole thing, you know, he improved tremendously from 2021 to 2022. Uh, almost knocked that ERA down a full run. Um, so, I mean, that's that's very impressive. The 2.33 ERA, when you're putting that number up and also doing what you're doing offensively, uh, that's amazing. And I just – do you think he'll ever be a guy that's going to hit 200 innings? I don't, I don't know. Um, and another question, how long is it going to last? He's already had Tommy John. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep that up. It's a lot of wear and tear on the body. He's a big dude. A lot of wear and tear on the body. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep hitting and pitching at the same time. Uh, it's It remains to be seen, but I think that obviously he's being used a lot. Yeah. Know, it's eventually going to happen. You hate to say it. Eventually, you know, his days as both will be, be over. 
Well, and the interesting thing about about that is, is let's say there is a day where it comes, he can't do both. Well, he's in his contract. He's going to be asking to be paid as both. And if he stops doing one of them, they're still going to be paying him as both. So that, that is, uh, you know, he's going to have to maintain it at least that long. Let's just say that. And can I say, I don't even think anyone's thinking that. Like, is anyone else, like any manager that would go and sign him, think that? Like, all right, he's not going to be able to do both for this, this long. Am I going to sign him to like a, obviously he wants 50 mil a year. Um, so am I going to be able to I mean, John, him? John, would the Mets do it? Is Would Steve Cohen break out the bank? Steve Cohen would break out the bank. I mean, he doesn't even have to answer. Steve Cohen would break out the bank for him regardless of I can't say that, that this sort of thing would make that kind of a splash. Um, I, I, it would take a, a monumental effort um, and, and certainly would take a, a wealth of, of draft stock or, or prospects to, to, make this, to make this happen. But I, I just don't know. Um, I, can't, I can't say that I, I wouldn't rule anything out. Uh, you know, Steve Cohen has been has proven himself to uh, be very, very friendly to uh, large contracts so far. But man, this would be um, this would be probably the biggest splash he's made, and and I and I I wouldn't I wouldn't hold any faith in that. Yeah, I mean, what do you think though to Rory's point and and you know our theory here? Like, is it okay to be paid as both if maybe he won't be able to do both the whole entire contract? I think it is because I think right now what you're getting is so impressive that you just can't open your pocket big for him. If you're if you're Shohei Otani suitor, you have to be prepared to make the entire you know offer. Right. Uh, he, he could be paid as both a pitcher and a hitter because that's exactly what he's giving you. I mean, he's he's absolutely ridiculous on both aspects, and you just we've never seen anything like this before, and that's what's so so exciting is it's it truly is revolutionary what he's doing yeah you're absolutely right and, and i think these teams know that they have to pay the premium and they will so let's move on to number two here from the miami marlins and this is a dude who i mean he could be number one you could very well make the argument for him to be number one it's sandy alcantara from the miami marlins with 17 points including the it factor uh for the total season 228 and two-thirds innings, led the league, 32 starts, 2.28 ERA, 2.98 FIP, got to love both under three, and, and the best part about him, and this is the most fascinating part about him, the strikeout numbers are low, and the innings are way up, and he still had over 200 strikeouts for the season. That's how they used to do it. They used to get their innings by not going for strikeouts every single at-bat, and you eventually get your 200 Ks for the season by, oh, wait, pitching more innings, not by getting more in less. And I think Sandy is, it might even be a singular person that is starting to shift baseball back into, I want a starter that can do that. 178 ERA plus, and this isn't just once. He had 205 innings in 21, and a full season in 19 without the COVID stuff. He had 197 innings. So every season that he's out there, he's going to pitch and it is valuable. And, and I also have seen him in person. I saw him give up one run to the Dodgers at Marlins Stadium at Lone Depot Park. And he's a guy that each inning, he gets better. It reminds me of what Verlander was like in Detroit in the early years, just fifth inning. He's going to get that tick up on the fastball, the slider extra bite. Nobody can touch me type deal. And this is another guy that you two see a lot of. Rory, what about Sandy at two? 
Yeah, no, I mean, in terms of this year, no one saw him more than the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, and I can say so much about him. I, I love the guy, and, and he's on an enemy team. So uh, he's only getting better. And everyone knew, you know, deep analytics showed that he was going to keep getting better this season. And it, boom, he went out and had the Cy Young. Uh, so in comparison, 2019, 388 ERA. Uh, 2020, he bumps that down, 88 runs, or I mean 88 points there, to a 3 ERA. 3.19, he went up a little bit in 2021, but then goes back down to 2.28 in his best season in 2022. A guy who is willing to throw 125 pitches just because he knows he has to. Uh, the Marlins got no one else that can do this, and they need every win they can when he's on the mound. He knows he has to pitch deep into this game just because the Marlins have had no bullpen. I don't know if they've you know done anything else to kind of recuperate that this year, but... Um, They've had no bullpen help, and he knows that if he wants to win the game, he's going to have to probably go seven, eight, nine innings, uh, and he's willing to do it. A guy that, you know, averaging, you know, he'll, he'll get those, what is it supposed to be like? You get the 10, 15 pitches you need per inning to get out. He's a guy that hits that right on the money. Uh, oh, yeah. He'll be around 60-something pitches when he's in the sixth inning. Uh, so it's definitely something that's great to see. Uh, I love him, and like I said, you know, coming from a rival team that faced him the most shocking that I love him. And I just do. He's, he's my number one. All right. What about you, John? Well, I'm going to have to wholeheartedly agree with Rory here. I also have Alcantara at my number one. And before any of the Mets fans jump off their couch to yell at me, I know what we're doing here, you know, not to, not to spoil the reveal of the number one, but you probably already guessed by process of elimination who it is. But man, I think that number one spot absolutely belongs to Sandy Alcantara. This is a guy you fear every time you face him. This is the guy that strikes doubts into the hearts of, of, of batters he faces. You, you talked about the innings, the ridiculous amount of innings he pitched last year. He led the league in innings pitched, complete games, and of course, shutouts because he pitched one. The, probably the, the, the thing you expect the least amount now a pitcher to throw a complete game shutout, and he was still able to manage one last year in a Cy Young performance, uh, playing on probably the worst team uh, in, in baseball at points, and like you said, they knew exactly what they had in him. He had to be stretched out to those innings. And if you can't give Don Mattingly credit for much last season, but if you can give him credit for anything, it was allowing Alcantara to cook, allowing him to stay out there for seven, eight, even nine innings when necessary. And the proof was in the pudding. He was absolutely unhittable and probably the scariest pitcher in baseball right now. He has to be number one for me. Um, and I saw a lot. Of him again last year, the Mets and the Marlins met 19 times last season, and I was fortunate enough to watch him in uh, live and in person in Miami. Fortunately for the Mets, it's actually a game they won. Uh, they knocked around all conference, but that's not what they are used to doing. Very few teams, if any, had success against him last year, and for me, he's the best pitcher in baseball. Well, I mean, you guys have said what needs to be said about Sandy. I'm going to disagree with both of you. I, I think Justin Verlander. All right, first of all. I don't like Justin Verlander. I, I think he's pretty obnoxious at times. I think throughout the cheating scandal, he you know he was whining about other things that weren't going the Astros. I've always thought he's a prima donna. I think that you know when he was whining about other people cheating while the Astros were cheating themselves, there's a lot on the laundry list of Justin Verlander stuff that I don't particularly like. But 
Justin Verlander, now a New York Met, coming in with 17 and a half points with the, excuse me, 18 and a half points with the it factor. And, and the reason I have him at number one and, and why I agree with the list is this. We've been talking this whole pod about some of these Hall of Famers are just docking a little bit. You, you, with age, they're, you know, maybe less innings, less this, less that. And we're going to, you know, they're getting old. The, the innings are dropping, blah, blah, blah. Well, Justin Verlander, and I understand that he's coming off of an injury and maybe the break gave him that ability to come back and pitch to this level. And that's all well and good, but it doesn't mean that he had to do this. 1.75 ERA for Justin Verlander. I, I mean, what? I, this is, uh, nobody was talking about this throughout the season. I mean, he won the Cy Young, but 1.75, 9.51 Ks per nine, 0.62 home runs per nine, and an ERA plus of 220. That's better than Sandy by a lot. And it, and the innings is drastic, and I understand that, 228 to 175. That is a significant amount. But Justin Verlander is a future Hall of Famer who is still pitching like one and just won a championship and won a game in the World Series. Despite how you want to say that he performed in the World Series, whatever, he's still a World Series champion, multiple-time one. He's still a Hall of Famer, and he's pitching. That might have been one of his best seasons ever. And everyone's just like, Sandy, Sandy, Sandy. And Verlander was better. So I understand the less innings. I understand the age. And I understand that over time, Sandy probably, you know, in three years, are you going to want Sandy? Yes. But right now, I'm taking Verlander for 2023. I mean, if he was in the NL, I still think Sandy wins Cy Young with those same stats. I think Sandy wins. Would we, let's see this year. They're both playing on the same thing. I mean, the, again, another person that goes from a 100-win team to a 100-win team, he's going to the New York Mets, uh, you know, another team that's going to be able to help him out big time. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara's doing it on a team that's going to finish fourth, fifth place in the NL East, uh, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, obviously Verlander is great. Historical, he's right up there with the top 10 in the decade or top, you know, one, two, three in the decade. Um, I still would take Sandy over him, and Scherzer, I mean, not Scherzer, Verlander's most amazing feat is that he got Kate Upton, might be. Uh, his facts off the field. Uh, you What you didn't mention is he did that coming off of Tommy John. Coming off. No, I, said, I did say that. I, I did say that. I didn't, okay. but either way, coming off of an injury like that, extremely hard to do. Uh, I'll be interested to see. Um, you know, what he does this year with the Mets in a crew, you know, that he's not used to hanging around. Um, it will be interesting to see for sure. Uh, it's a guy that I'm not going to knock, but I still think Sandy's better. All right, John. I mean, this is your guy. I mean, you already said Sandy's number one, but you got to stick up for Verlander a little bit here. No, and I, and I will. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and, and tear down such a winner from last year, especially when he's primed to be potentially the ace of the staff on my team. But you know, if we talk about you know the potential for this season, I, I do have to factor some some non-exact baseball statistics in here. He's entering his 40-year-old season. Um, he's certainly. Pitched, like you, you did mention, he pitched probably as well as anyone could have ever expected last year. No one pinned him for the, certainly the Cy Young, not, probably not even one of the top five pitchers in baseball following the year he had in 2020. But, you know, he, he absolutely put it together, and it, and it speaks to his, his 
it's dedication and, and really taking care of his body. You don't get to 39 years old, 40 years old, and be arguably the best pitcher in baseball if you don't have the strictest and most regimented routine. But I have to say that when I watch, I have to use the eye test here. When I watch Sandy Alcantara pitch, I see someone who could probably be the Cy Young winner in any season he pitches over the next decade. He absolutely has the best stuff I've seen probably in, in, in the in a few in a good few years in baseball. And you know, do I think he's gonna stay a Marlin forever? No, probably not. He'll probably be a mercenary eventually for another team as well, because that's been Miami's MO for their entire existence. But <laughs> this year, do I think Justin Verlander is going to have a better year than Sandy Alcantara? No, I don't. Wow. Wow. All right. Hey, two against one there. And uh, both of you would agree, excuse me, not agree, but uh, with the list of having Verlander at one, Sandy at two. So um, we'll go through the list one more time. At 15, Shane McClanahan from the Tampa Bay Rays. Number 14 from the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Wheeler. Number 13 from the New York Yankees, Garrett Cole. And number 12 from the Los Angeles Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw. At number 11 from the Philadelphia Phillies, Aaron Nola, the Chicago White Sox. 99-mile-per-hour hurler. Dylan Cease comes in at number 10. Former Cy Young Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Guardians at number 9. Jacob DeGrom from the Texas Rangers at 8. Corbin Burns at number 7. At number 6 from the New York Mets, Max Scherzer. Carlos Rodon at 5 from the Yankees. At number 4 from the Braves, Max Fried. Then Shohei at 3 from the Angels. Sandy at 2. Verlander at 1. And that is the top 15 going into the 2023 season. The guys that just missed, and they just missed. Some even at exact point values as guys that made it, like Kevin Gosman, reason being that I picked McClanahan over Gosman with the same amount of points is because McClanahan had a better season than Gosman. And, and we, you know, we always value the 2022s and the 21s into this score. Uh, 2022, much more than the 21, but that's what factored into it. 17 was Brandon Woodruff, 18, Zach Gallen, 19, Spencer Strider. And you could order those three any way you want. They were all 11.5 points. At number 20, Alec Manoa. Uh, then also with 11 points, Fromber Valdez, Joe Musgrove, Logan Webb, Julio Urias, 10.5 points. Tristan McKenzie, Christian Javier, Tony Gonsolin had 10 points. Nestor had 9. And then Luis Castillo had 7.5 because he didn't hit a bunch of markers with uh, with total points, excuse me, or, or just total amounts on his stats. So that just tells you how many pitchers, and I didn't even name some of them, could have been considered for this. Just an incredible list for the show. And uh, just one more topic here before we wrap up with this show, and it's something that uh, John and I have wanted to talk about uh, on this pod the whole time, is the pitch clock. The pitch clock coming in this year, it has been, to me, a massive success in spring training. I went to a game, and I went to the WBC, and as amazing as the WBC was, and and you know with no pace and no pitch clock, there were still moments where you're sitting there like, ugh. Like, I kind of would want maybe a pitch clock right here as I'm waiting for Aaron Luke to go for the uh, 3-2 count again. Yeah, I'm starting to really fall in love with it. I don't need to be sitting there every night. And and all three of us are broadcasters as well. So this is coming from a broadcasting standpoint. It's better for us, too. I, I mean, you know, when we don't have to fill these, you know, these dead air spots and stuff like that, when we can just be more dialed in, on the game itself, I think it's better from an entertainment standpoint. When you're not there for three plus hours a night, 
three hours, five or three hours, seven minutes was the average time before spring training. Now we're looking at two hours, 36, which is right there with the NHL and with the NBA that for me, no problem every night when the Rangers are on, I'm watching seven to nine 30, perfectly fine. But if the Yankees are on during the week, I'm like, well, they could be over at 1030. I don't know if I really want to stay up till 1030. Well, with this pitch clock, we could be getting out of baseball games at 930. I think it's a massive win. Uh, what about you, John? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't think I'm going out on a limb at all when I say it's the most important change to baseball probably in the last 20 years. And I think it's going to be the most significant change to baseball akin to what the shot clock was in basketball when they instituted in 1982. I mean, this is the most significant event for us that does not have a significant impact on the game. And that's to say almost no impact on the actual way the game of baseball is played. I hear a lot of complaining about baseball being removed from the game, and that's just simply not true. We're still going to have 27 batters. We're still going to have nine innings. That nothing fundamentally about baseball has changed one iota. What has changed, though, is fans' enjoyment of the game. A general, uh, uh, forgive me here, uh, we've, we've replaced or we've given the pitcher the power back in pitching instead of allowing batters to take as much time as they want, allowing them to step out multiple times, and it really removes the entire flow of a baseball game. In fact, we saw even as late as last season, batters intentionally strategically waiting for a long hold from a pitcher to step out and that really ruins the entire experience of the baseball game for anybody watching because it's nothing but gamesmanship. And, you know, it's easy to wax poetic as a fan, but as a broadcaster, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is a, a godsend for people like myself who really don't want to wax poetic during gigantic extended breaks during games, especially when, it, you know, it might be a pitcher who just wants to, walk around the mound or a batter who needs to adjust as well to the seventh time that at that. A lot of that stuff is not good for television. It's not good for the fans and it's not good for baseball. And we've instituted what I think is the perfect solution to remove all of that fluff and now get down into the nitty gritty of the game. We saw, you know, we were been testing this in our league in, um, in the Florida state league for more than two seasons now um, and it's been a wild success. No one in minor league baseball is complaining about the pitch clock. And, I, you know, it's no surprise that baseball fans who are very averse to change would balk at, you know, the, the early stages of it. No one wants to see the game end on an automatic third strike. But, you know, if, if you don't want to get back into the box, you, you have to get the game going eventually. All the other sports, all the other major sports allow for a delay of game. Now we have one in baseball. I mean, you, nobody could have said it better right there. I mean, I, I'm totally with you. I, I just, I don't think there's any going back after I watched a game with it. And, and that's just the way it is. I mean, you can go back and watch games. And, and I, I've heard this from John Boy Media. They did like a big watch party over COVID uh, on their YouTube channel where they would go back, watch games from the 1980s, 1970s, where no pitch clock at all, and the games would average these two-and-a-half-hour time slots. And it, it hasn't even been so, something that's always been the case, that these games have always been three hours, and it's just we're, we're trying to adapt to the generation or something like that. No, it really is that somehow, some way, over the last 20 years, 
players have just slowed down. And there was actually always a pitch clock. This is the most interesting thing I heard about it. There always was a pitch clock in the rule book of 12 seconds that was never enforced. So, John, when you said this doesn't change the game in any iota, technically it doesn't because it was always there and they actually ignored it before. So uh, this this had to happen. And I think when people go back to watch classic games from 2015, they're going to go, oh, my God, people sat through these games? I, I think it's going to be that bad. And frankly, I think it already is. And I mean, I think it just, to be, I would say less than half the season, I think you'll find plenty of adopters and we will have largely have forgotten about what baseball was like pre-2023. I mean, you we can talk about lots of different rule changes and how they affect baseball, but this one will be the most important one for fans. If you want to grow the game, if you want more people to watch your sport, make it more watchable. And that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll come in. I'll come in and hit you guys with the difference. Is being a, I was a college pitcher. I was a guy where I am gonna take my sweet ass time if I'm in a jam, uh, and I could totally see where you know a pitcher is not gonna like that because when it is bases loaded and you got to try and work, uh, you know, in a one out scenario and you're got to keep going up on the mound and you got to keep working like that. Obviously, you're gonna have to be in a tempo. I could totally see where pitchers. Uh, are not going to be okay with that. That's a that's a big change. I mean, you're allowed before this. You're allowed to take your as long as you want. Uh, simply step off the mound. You know, keep adjusting your hat. I know Jacob knows that I love throwing around rosin. Uh, whenever I was in a jam, so uh, it's it's pretty simple. It does absolutely change the way hitters and mainly pitchers are going to have to play. Uh, and also it takes away some big moments. So I I will critique it a little bit. Uh, Bryce Harper's amazing home run wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened in the NLCS. Obviously, it might have happened, but it wouldn't have happened the way it did. Uh, he took forever to get back in the box. So, I mean, you're taking away some well, times. Could he? Would he still go deep if he had to get in there within 25 seconds? Obviously, his game would change. Um, but, I mean, the moment leading up to that was phenomenal. Either way. Yeah, I mean, I, I just always I, – I forget the, the term for it, but it's like the fallacy of the of the predicted outcome or something like that to where, you know, you could say, well, if this didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened and blah, 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 blah. Well, it did, and I think in the future when – I mean, it's not like no good moments are ever going to happen again. They're just going to have to happen within a certain amount of time. I mean, if that, if that moment – he would have just had to be in the box quicker, and he very well could have still hit a home run in that at bat. Yeah, I think my more the bigger point is that pitchers really have to adjust, um, because there's nothing like when you're in a jam and you got to keep getting on the mound. That is not going to be fun. That is. Not I, I mean, do you think it'll become a desired skill where you know if you're going to be a pitcher in the big leagues, you need to if you're not quick enough, you're out. Jacob, can you imagine sweating in four city? You're giving up like five runs in a row. Tokyo Drift's been playing five times in a row, and you got to keep getting back uh -huh. on the mound. Could you imagine uh, you'd be you'd be shitting your pants? I, 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 I get it. I I understand it, but these are professionals, and and you know people have jobs to do, and you know it's like, listen, well, we can't be here all night. We can't. But what do you say to that argument, John, about pitchers? Well, I think the counter to that is is with my point is that I think it actually puts the the power of pitching back into the hands of the pitcher who now get to entirely control the tempo because they know that 
even though they're controlled by 18 and then later 14 seconds, and that the batter does know that the ball is going to be coming between then and one second on the clock, but the, the pitcher is going to be charged with an automatic ball. Still, he's only allowed one step off for the entire at bat. So now it becomes a little cat and mouse game. And Max Scherzer actually did a great interview speaking to this point a couple of days ago, where he basically said that now that I know I'm in full control, I'm going to try and make that guy step out if I can by forcing a long <laughs> hole. And if I do that, I know that he can't step out for the rest of the at-bat. And this is the kind of cagey pitcher logic that I love to hear, especially from a you know a 17-year veteran like Max Scherzer. You know, it's it really speaks to the knowledge that he has of the game and also, you know, the, the gamesmanship now becomes instead of delaying, instead of taking all of our sweet time, will you use your, your timeout, your one given step off? Or will you throw over knowing that you only have two remaining before you have to pick the batter off? I think there's a lot more head games now than there ever were before. I, I like that counter because it's true. I mean, you know, you give the power to the pitcher, you know, they. but it's the same thing with, I've heard base stealers talk about, we know when we're going to run now. We're going to look at the clock and run based off the pitch clock. And so that I've found it very interesting as well. But what do you think about that, Rory, uh, you know, about controlling the, the pace? I mean, there already were, like, mind games that you'd play on a hitter if you were a pitcher. I mean, there's already that stuff. Now it's kind of just in the rule book that Max Scherzer can follow. Um, and if there's anyone that's going to game it, I can guarantee it will be Max Scherzer. Um, he's just a gamer there. Uh, but no, I mean, there's already mind games that you could have done. Uh, plenty of times I've just held the ball or, you know, stepped off several times, um, you know, quick pitching, all that good stuff. It's, you know, it's all stuff that you could do um, already. Obviously, now you also got to think the base runners as well. I mean, you can't pick off all over there. People are projecting like 50 steel seasons, which is would be nuts. Uh, it's it's definitely changing. I I would have to actually pitch in a game with it on me to see how I would adjust. Um, and even then, so it's like, glad they're doing it in spring training, but um, it's still going to be an adjustment once you get there on opening day. I can guarantee we're going to see some, some mess-ups for sure. Probably some big ones, too, that are going to cost some games. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be a discussion we're having all year and probably for multiple years to come, but uh, this is a great pod, guys. I mean, we went over a lot, the WBC, the new pitch clock rules, um, and then we went over our top 15 starting pitchers today and completing the Rankum series for 2022-23. Uh, Rory, we had a great time on these. We, I mean, this is what? This is week 10 of it now uh, of these lists and putting them out there. It's been a ton of fun, and like I said, we'll jam DH into like a little season preview. I'll probably just do a five-minute Here's the DHs, and uh, we'll go through the go through the leagues and give you guys a season preview next pod. But uh, thank you so much, John, for coming on with us. Um, you know, we wish you luck with with your team for the rest of this season, and uh, thanks so much so much for coming on. I certainly appreciate you guys. Were an absolute blast to talk with, and uh, hey, let's do this some again sometime. Uh, but barring that, it's going to be a great season. Let's go, Mets. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Rory's like, no, no. Uh, so we got the rivalry going between you guys. We'll rev that up again at some point in the summer when that rivalry is really close in the NL, NL East. So 
for this edition of Strictly Baseball. You can check us out on every podcast platform. You can follow us on Twitter at Strictly Sports P and on Facebook and Instagram at Strictly Sports Productions. For John Stefano and Rory Tedimer, I am Jacob Brown, and we will see you next time.